0: Uh, We got married on June 22nd, 2012, uh, and we knew that we wanted to um, eventually have kids, but we just really wanted to be a married couple in the beginning and enjoy some time together, just really get to know each other, uh, do some fun things. Um, After about a year of being married, uh, we started really talking, like, oh, maybe we should start trying. Uh, Let's just, you know, see what happens. And so we started trying to have kids, Um, it just wasn't working.
1: So we we started going to the fertility doctor about um, a year after we had started trying because we figured something may be wrong. I knew that I had PCOS since I was a teenager, so um, we wanted to see what was going on. So we did some fertility treatments, did a couple rounds of IUI that didn't work, um, and so it was really discouraging, and we just felt like maybe we should just put it on hold for now and see what God has for us. and in the midst of that, it was just, it was really hard. Um, this whole journey has, has been really tough for us because we've had to really rely on each other and on our um, friends and family and on God uh, most, most of all. But it's not always easy uh, when, you're, when you're in the waiting season.
0: We felt so many emotions during this time. Um, I mean, we were angry, uh, we were just angry in general. Honestly, we got angry with God. God, why is this happening? Um, we would talk, and it seemed like every time we got on Facebook, there was another picture we're expecting, coming soon. And every time, like, you want to like it, but you can't. You just get mad. We would just ask the question, why?
1: why? Why can't I have the blessings? Why can't I have the desires of my heart like I've been told that it's going to happen um, since I was young? you know, and you pray for so long, you have hope for so long, and you start to doubt and you start to to wonder if it's ever going to happen or where God is in the midst of it because um, it, you just don't feel like He's there sometimes.
0: So this whole time, uh, we were just praying every night, God, you know, show us what this journey is. Like, just help us with this uh, and I was specifically praying God's timing. Like, that's what we just had to understand, was that it's God's timing, not ours. As much as we want it to be, little did we know that His timing was going to be so soon. Uh, I just prayed sooner than later, God. So, uh, on March 19th of this year, uh, we were pulling out a cross point. Uh, we were headed to go to Buffalo's. Uh, and we got not even half a mile down the street from the church. And uh, Brianna's phone rang, so she answered uh, and when she started talking, I just said, that's about a baby, isn't it? Like, I felt like God just spoke to me. And for some reason that came to mind, this has been kind of not on our radar right now at all. Uh, and she just nods, yeah. And uh, turns out on the phone was Sydney uh, Smith with Bartow Family Resource Center.
1: She told us about Anna Grace, and uh, she said that she was with a family that wanted, uh, was looking for a family who maybe had been trying for a while, um, so that she could have a lot of love, and so we uh, met her on um, Monday, and then on Tuesday we hung out with her for a little while, had dinner, and Wednesday we picked her up from daycare and uh, brought her home. So uh, in three days we became parents. Um, so it was just it was amazing because we we had no idea that this was going to happen, um, and it, it just it just happened out of the blue. It's completely different than what we thought um, but it is perfect for us and it's just awesome that God has had this plan for us and we didn't we didn't know it we didn't see it we couldn't see it but now um, walking on this side of it it's just like okay this is what we are waiting for
2: love it McIntyre's are in the house this morning. Appreciate you guys so much for sharing your story with us. And uh, we are happy for them, aren't we? It's awesome. Love it. Well, hey, if you have a Bible or a device for the Bible app, uh, go ahead and grab those things and go to Mark chapter 5 with me. Mark chapter 5. Have you ever found yourself waiting like that? Uh, Maybe you weren't waiting on a child, but you were waiting on something you desperately wanted Or something you desperately needed. Have you been there before? Yeah, me too. Uh, One of the most recent seasons of waiting in my life happened just a a couple years ago. And some of you have heard this story. My wife was pregnant with our youngest daughter. And about eight weeks into the pregnancy, she started having major complications. And so we headed to the ER one night. And uh, we were worried that we were losing this baby. And what made it especially scary was the fact that just a short time before we found out she was pregnant with our youngest daughter, we lost a baby due to miscarriage. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, here we go again. Well, long story short, we get to the hospital, they do an ultrasound, and everything with the baby was fine, but my wife had what's called a subchorionic hemorrhage. It's an area of bleeding between the placenta and the uterine wall. And so the doctors came in, and they explained this to us, And they told her that this issue actually put my wife at higher risk for miscarriage again. And so we left that night and we waited. Several weeks went by and everything was good until we went in for our 20-week ultrasound. Uh, The doctors, after doing the ultrasound, told us we were having another little girl. And then they also shared that something didn't look right with her bowel. Uh, For some reason, it was appearing brighter on the ultrasound than it should have. And so they explained that it could mean nothing or it could mean things like cystic fibrosis, Down syndrome, uh, trisomy 13 or 18, which meant she may not live long after birth. And the only way to really know what was happening is for her to be born. But until that happened, we would have no clue if anything was really going on. And so we left again and we waited And for the next 20 weeks, uh, things were pretty uneventful until the early morning of March 19th, which I think's crazy that in the story you guys talk about the 19th, March 19th, 2015, uh, my wife wakes me up at 2 a.m. in the morning out of a dead sleep. I don't know why you ladies have to go into labor in the middle of the night, but that's what happened in my house. She's pushing me and she's going, James, something's happening. Well, come to find out her water broke in the bed. And so I load her in the car, we head to the hospital, and she labored for about eight hours, and then everything stopped. Every time she would have a contraction, the baby's heart rate rate would drop. Uh, my wife started experiencing this really weird pain in one of her shoulders. And so eventually the doctor came in and said, listen, it's not safe to proceed to keep trying. We need to do an emergency C-section. And so I'll never forget just the sea of people that came rushing into the room And they took my wife to the operating room. And here I am sitting on a bench outside of the operating room, you know, and all my scrubs and my mask and the little hat they give you. And I'm just praying the same prayer that I had prayed countless times over the previous nine months. God, would you keep your hand on this baby's life? God, would you keep your hand on my wife's life? And praise God, he answered those prayers because just a few minutes later, uh, we had a very healthy and very big nine pound, five ounce baby girl. That's how we make them in the Griffin household. But uh, I'll never forget sitting there and I'm, I'm holding my new daughter and my wife and I were just enjoying that moment with her. And the doctors are working on my wife, putting her back together. And it's taken way longer than it needed to. And so my wife finally spoke up and she just asked her doctor, hey, is everything okay? Is something wrong? And her doctor says to her, sweetheart, your uterus completely ruptured. When I opened you up, the baby was outside of your uterus and inside of your abdominal cavity. Look, we knew that was serious, but we didn't realize how serious it was until we got to our room and every doctor and every nurse who came in kept using the same word, miracle. James, it's a miracle your wife's okay. It's a miracle that your daughter is okay. Come to find out, many babies and even some mothers die as a result of uterine rupture. And it was in light of that miracle that we finally picked the name for our daughter. We were those people who showed up to the hospital without one. And uh, we're not those people, by the way. We are planners, we wanted a name, but it was like every time we talked about it, nothing felt right. And after what we went through, it started to make sense why that was the case. Uh, It was night two after her birth, we were still in the hospital And my wife brought up the name Selah, which is a Hebrew word that means to pause and reflect or to pause and give praise. And as soon as she said it, I was like, yes, that is it. Because that little girl gave us so much reason to pause and praise God for all he had done for her and us. Now, Selah's middle name came even easier than her first name. Like my wife straight up told me, we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to debate it. We don't need to discuss it. God gave me her middle name. Her middle name is going to be Faith. And I love her middle name, Sale of Faith, because that little girl, like waiting on her, forced my wife and I to walk in faith together in ways that we had never walked in faith before. And as a result, God grew our trust and confidence in him deeper than it had ever grown. And please hear me. Look up here. When you are stuck in a season of waiting, walking in faith will do the same thing for you if you'll let it. And that's the reality we're gonna see in our text for today. So if your Bibles are open to Mark chapter five, we're gonna pick up in verse 21 and get to work. Here's what Mark writes. He says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you heard my guy, Peter Grant, a buddy of mine, preach on Jesus healing the demoniac on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the pagan country, of the Gerasenes. Well, Mark tells us that after Jesus does that, he comes back to the side of the sea where he started. And as he arrives, this large crowd gathers around him yet again. And as the crowd gathers, a guy named Jairus shows up. Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue, which meant he was a godly man. He was morally respectable. He was probably wealthy and very socially prominent. And so this guy comes and he throws himself in the dirt at the feet of Jesus. Think about this. I mean, Jesus is a Jewish carpenter. Think about the wealthiest, most respectable person you know, throwing themselves in the dirt at the feet of the rough and tough blue-collar construction guy. Like, why would he do that? Why would Jairus respond this way? Well, verse 23 tells us that his daughter was at the point of death. And apparently he had heard the stories of Jesus healing other sick people because he makes a huge statement of faith here. And he says to Jesus, please come and lay your hands on my daughter so that she'll be healed and live. Now, look, as a dad of two young girls, I can understand this father's desperation. Like if one of my girls was on her deathbed, and I knew of a guy powerful enough to save her, I wouldn't care where he lived, who he was, what he did for a living. I would hunt him down, and I would throw myself at his feet, and I would beg him, you have to come with me like right now. Because if you don't come with me right now, my daughter isn't going to make it. And this is where Jairus finds himself. And I love the fact that verse 24 tells us that in response to his faith and humility, look, Jesus went with him. No questions asked. No, Jairus, tell me more. I'm kind of busy right now. Just went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And so get the picture in your mind, all right? Here's this desperate father in a hurry to get Jesus to his dying daughter. And as they're trying to get to Jairus's house, this crowd of people uh, not only follows them, but they start pressing in around them. You know, it kind of reminds me of being in New York City a few years ago at Christmas time. The group I was with decided to take a walk one night in Times Square. And we walk into this place and there are so many people there that we could barely move, you know? I mean, we're in the midst of the crowd, and so we're just kind of going wherever the crowd went. Well, I can picture Jesus and Jairus just kind of going wherever the crowd went. You know, they're buried in this sea of people, and Mark says that a woman shows up. And he tells us a few things about her. First, she had a chronic condition that caused her to bleed. It's a condition she suffered from uh, for 12 years at this point. And this was a huge deal for her, not just physically, but also socially and spiritually, You see, according to the Mosaic law, and you can find this in Leviticus 15 if you want to read it, a woman with a condition like hers was considered unclean. And as long as she was bleeding, that was her status before God and society. And so you have to understand the implications. Like what this meant for her was that she couldn't go into the temple to worship God or to make sacrifices for her sins. Anything she touched was considered unclean, and anyone who touched her or anything she had touched was also considered unclean. So for 12 years, this woman had been cut off from God and avoided by people. And the only thing that made it worse was the fact that no doctors had been able to help her. Uh, She's broke at this point because she spent all the money she had trying to find a cure, but instead of getting better, she's now worse. You see, this was a desperate, desperate woman. But she had heard the reports about this man, Jesus, helping other desperate people like her. And so she sought him out and she came up behind him in this crowd. Now, every time I read this story, I just picture this woman, this unclean, broken woman, uh, not caring at this point about who she's about to touch, right? And she's just pressing through. She's thinking in her mind, this is my shot. This is the only chance I may have. And so as this crowd is pressing in around Jesus, she's pressing her way through the crowd and she's saying in her mind, if I can just touch his clothes, like I don't even need to touch him. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And she takes a swipe and one of her fingers barely brushes the tassel on Jesus's prayer shawl. And immediately this issue of blood dries up and she's healed. She's healed. Now, I want you to see how Jesus responds to this. Verse 30, look. Mark says, And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd, and he said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, such an important word in this passage. We'll come back to it. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so Mark tells us that as soon as this woman touched Jesus' clothes, he felt the power exit his body. So in other words, when she touched him or, or his garments, a literal power transfer took place. Jesus experienced a sensation of weakness as his power left his body and entered into hers. And so Jesus, he stops on a dime, he turns around, and he asks the question, who touched me? Now, if you're a disciple and you hear that question, you're thinking to yourself, that's a weird question. And his disciples, they were confused by it, right? I mean, they're probably worried about Jesus. Jesus, do you need to lie down somewhere? Uh, Did that demon-possessed guy have some kind of weird effect on you? Do you need a glass of water? That's like Jesus, there's 47 different people touching you right now. Like, what do you mean, who touched me? And I could just imagine Jesus going, No, 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 this is different. Someone who needed power just touched me because my power exited my body and someone else just received it. And he's adamant and he's scanning the crowd. And finally, this woman comes forward in fear and in trembling to identify herself. Look, this moment in the story reminds us of a very important principle concerning faith and waiting. And the principle is this, if you're taking notes. Walking in faith while waiting requires more than you expect to give. Walking in faith while waiting requires more than you expect to give. Look, I'll go back to my story about Selah for a moment to start explaining that, all right? At eight weeks into the pregnancy, All we were praying was that God would remove a small area of bleeding to prevent a miscarriage. By week 40, we were praying against massive issues that could have ended or severely impacted our daughter's life. At week 40, without even realizing it, I'm sitting outside the operating room begging God to spare the life of my wife and my child. You see, I had no idea eight weeks in that I would have to get on my knees over and over again throughout the course of that pregnancy and trust God in ways that I'd never trusted him before. But that's exactly what happened. I had to give more than I ever expected. And the same was true for this sick woman. You see, I believe that she had every intention on showing up that day and just being healed quietly. But Jesus forces her to go public with her faith which was a dangerous move on her part. You see, in this ancient culture, for an unclean woman to touch a Jewish rabbi in a setting like this, it was highly, highly offensive. And so the question is, why would Jesus force the issue? I mean, why would he ask her to give more than expected by publicly identifying herself before this crowd? Well, here's the simple answer. Please don't miss this. Look, she needed it. She needed it. And here's what I mean by that. And it's pretty obvious from the story that this woman possessed somewhat of a timid faith. Right? From the looks of it, her plan was to touch and run. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to get out of here. In addition, many Bible scholars believe that her faith in some ways was superstitious. You see, in this ancient culture, when a person possessed healing power, it was often believed that that power extended to their clothes and even their shadows. That's why when you read the book of Acts, you find like, you know, cloths being mailed to people so that they can touch them. Uh, You find people laying people in the streets, sick people so that Peter's shadow might fall on them. That's that superstitious belief at play. And so here's what you have to understand about this woman. The quality of her faith may not have been the greatest, but it didn't matter because her healing didn't depend on the quality of her faith. You see, as I taught a couple of weeks ago in that message on the storm, it's not the quality or the quantity of our faith that saves us. And that's really good news for us, isn't it? Because there are times, and I'm included in this, when we all struggle, don't we? <laughs> Praise God that our salvation and our restoration depends not on the quality or quantity of our faith, but on the object of our faith. You see, without even realizing it, the The object of this woman's very timid and superstitious faith was Jesus. And by forcing her to go public, he forced her to recognize that. He wanted her to see, you touching my clothes is not what healed you. Because there is no power in my garments. What healed you was your faith in me. He also wanted her to understand, look, that because of her faith in him, she had been healed not just physically but spiritually. Remember that word daughter that I pointed out earlier? Yeah, that reality is seen in that word. I love the fact that Jesus says very compassionately to this broken, unclean woman, daughter. This was his way of saying to her, because of your faith in me, you and I are now in a life-changing, eternal relationship. But if you thought I was gonna let you get away under the radar with nothing more than physical healing, you are sadly mistaken, But I love you way too much to do that little for you. So now that you have been healed both physically and spiritually, daughter, 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 go in peace and suffer no more. How good is that? Look, I want to make sure that we're really getting this. So let me just say it again, all right? When you are stuck in a season of waiting and you are in desperate need of God's help, it will require more of you than you expect to give. But look... The only reason that God asks you for more is because he's trying to give you something he knows you desperately need. I need you to understand today that God loves you and that he is for you, but he sees things that you cannot see at the moment. And there are times when God wants to give you that thing that's not even on your radar, but sometimes it takes some extra time to get there. And because God loves you, he wants to use that extra time in your life to grow your trust and your confidence in him. Now look, with all that said and with all that in mind, we still have a massive problem in our story, don't we? You guys haven't forgotten about Jairus, have you? You remember his daughter is still at home dying? Can you imagine what he was thinking and feeling while all that we just talked about was going on? Like I would bet he wasn't standing there thinking to himself, oh, praise God. I'm so glad I got to be here for this, right? This sick woman just got healed and Jesus is having such a nice, encouraging conversation with her. This is awesome. No, as a dad whose daughter is dying, he's probably standing there thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? You gotta hurry up. I was here first, and and if you don't come with me right now, my daughter isn't going to make it. But there's Jesus in no hurry at all, right? I mean, who can blame Jairus for feeling like that? If his daughter and that sick woman showed up in the ER at the same time, who would you expect the doctor to see first? The dying girl, right? Why? Because her condition is much more pressing. The woman with the 12-year-old disease, she can sit in the waiting room a little bit longer so the dying girl can get the help she needs. Yet here's Jesus just kind of taking his time, carrying on a conversation, which is a great reminder for us. And this is frustrating, look, that God rarely operates according to our time frame. You with me? Look, that can be especially frustrating when there are people in your life whose needs are being met and their needs aren't nearly as pressing as yours. It's like, God, are you, are you kidding? Like, you just supplied all their money for their mission trip. I lost my job and I can't pay my mortgage. God, you cleared up their rash. I have cancer, right? Look, here's the reality. I need you to understand that even when things in your life seem dead and hopeless, there is never a need for God to be in a hurry. Here's why. Because God is always in control, and nothing is ever too hard for him. And this is the reality we see in the rest of the story. Look back at verse 35 with me. Jesus keeps Jairus waiting, and this is when he receives the news he feared the most. The Bible says that while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. She's gone. Well, why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So all hope seems lost, right? His daughter's gone. It's over. Even his friends are coming to him and saying, look, you just need to leave Jesus alone. Even he can't help you now. But I almost imagine Jesus just kind of pushing those people aside, you know, turning his back to them and looking at Jairus and saying, ignore them. Don't listen to what they're saying to you. Look at me. Look, don't be afraid. Just keep believing. This is a great reminder that when you and I are stuck in our own seasons of waiting, that we will have to make decisions along the way concerning the voices we listen to. Because here is a reality, and some of you know this because you've experienced it. There will be times when discouraging voices attempt to speak into your life, and all they want to tell you is to give up on whatever it is you're waiting for. Sometimes that's the voice of the enemy at play. He's telling you, stop trying. There's no use. All hope's lost. Even God can't help you now. Sometimes it's you telling you that stuff. And then as seen in the story, sometimes those are, are the voices of other people in your life. And again, the decision you have to make is this. Will I listen to those discouraging voices and walk in fear over faith? Or will I listen to the voice of Jesus and keep believing? That's the decision Jairus had to make. And it's a decision that reminds us of a second principle concerning faith and waiting, and it's this. That walking in faith while waiting returns more than you expect to receive. So look, it not only requires more of you than you expect to give, but it returns more to you than you expect to receive. Now, let me be really clear on what I'm not suggesting when I say this, okay? I'm not suggesting with this statement that if there's something you want in life, that if you'll just believe for it long enough, right, you're going to get that thing and then some. So understand, I'm not perpetuating some name-it-and-claim-it theology. All I'm suggesting with this statement is this, that the promises of God contained in this book are true and they are sure. And when you wait on the promises of God to come to pass for you in faith, when those promises finally come to you, what you thought you would receive will pale in comparison to what you actually receive. And I'll keep explaining that. All right, let's finish the story, and, uh, and I think it'll make more sense. Here we go. Verse 37. Mark says, Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. Which, I love that, you know, hey, she's up, you might want to feed the girl, right? So think about this with me. When Jairus first came to Jesus, all he needed to believe Jesus for was what? was healing, right? When he came to Jesus at this point in the story, he needed to believe Jesus for what? A resurrection. And so there's principle number one at play again. You want to walk in faith during your seasons of waiting? Well, you can expect to give more than you ever thought you were going to have to give. But as a result of believing Jesus' voice over the discouraging voices, Jairus had returned to him more than he ever expected to receive. Right, Jesus shows up to his house, and it's a chaotic scene. There are people crying and losing their minds, and Jesus walks in the door, and he asks what seems like a very insensitive question. like, What's up with all the commotion? Why are you guys crying? Don't you know that she's not dead, but she's sleeping? Now listen, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to know that that's not what you say to a family when a 12-year-old girl just died. And so Mark says, all of them laugh at Jesus. And I don't perceive that to be a ha-ha, you're so funny, that's awesome kind of laugh, right? I perceive that to be a we're highly offended, I can't believe you just said that, Uh, we're shocked that you would actually allow those words to come out of your mouth kind of laugh. But Jesus makes all these offended people leave and he takes this girl's parents along with Peter, James, and John and he goes into the room where this little girl is laying, at least her dead body is laying. And I love this, in this moment, Jesus puts both his love and his power on display. Very tenderly, he takes this dead girl by the hand, which he shouldn't have done. I mean, good Jewish boys and especially rabbis didn't touch dead bodies because dead bodies were unclean, but he does it anyway. He takes her by the hand, and then he says to her in Aramaic, which simply means, translated literally, something like, honey, it's time to get up. And at those words, life flooded back into the lifeless body of this little 12-year-old girl. And she got up, and she started walking around the room, and her parents were overcome with amazement. And of course they were, right? Because of their faith in Jesus, they had far more than they ever expected to receive returned to them. Would you look at me for just a moment? Look, I don't know what you might be waiting on today. And I don't know what any of us, including myself, are going to find ourselves waiting on in the future. But here's what I do know because of what I see in the scriptures I know that God is faithful, and I know that He's good, and I know that He can be trusted. And I know that his promises are true. And whether you realize his promises now or in eternity, I guarantee this, when they finally come to pass in your life, you will receive more than you ever bargained for. As we close, I want to answer one final question, very practical question, and I'm going to do it quickly. Here's the question. When we find ourselves stuck in our own seasons of waiting, what are we supposed to do while we wait? we take a nap? Do we twiddle our thumbs? Uh, Do we spend all of our time complaining about what we're waiting on, what we don't have yet? Like, what do we do while we wait? Well, here's what I want to suggest. You find yourself stuck in a season of waiting, we worship the God we're waiting on. And look, we do it even when we don't want to, and we do it even when we don't feel like it. We remember that God loves us And that the proof of that is seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, any time you doubt God's love for you, you got to look at what he did for you when he crushed his son in your place for your sins. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate how you think of God's care and love in your life. You look at the cross and you let it inform you. You remember that God is in control of all things. And the proof of that is seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, I mean, can we just be honest? If God raised his own son up from the dead after three days, don't you think he can raise up that dead thing in your life, whatever it is you're dealing with? We remember that God is a good, loving father who always wants what's best for us, that nothing is impossible for him. And in light of those truths, we worship him even when life gives us no reason to do so. And here's why we do this. Look, here's why we do this. When you worship God in a season of waiting, your exaltation of him has this way of bringing into sharper focus his character and his promises. You know, it's like that person who has terrible eyesight, you know, when they put their glasses on for the first time and they go, oh my gosh, I can see. That's what worshiping God in the waiting does. When you lift him up and you behold him and you get your eyes off your circumstances and and you fix them on him and him alone over time, it's like, okay, I can see again. I can see who he is and I can see his goodness and I can see all those promises that he's made me and are yet to come. And as long as you keep your eyes fixed there over time, God will grow deeper your trust and your confidence in him. so what we're going to do right now in this moment is this, we're just going to worship the Lord together. The band is going to come and they're going to sing a song over us and it's a song you may not know, but that's okay. Uh, I love it. It's a song that was important to Adam and Brianna in their season of waiting. And my prayer is that it would encourage us like it encouraged them. And so as the band comes and they sing and they play, I would just say to you, if you want to sit and listen, you do that. Uh, If you want to pray where you are, do that. Our prayer team is gonna be here. And so if you need to come and receive prayer today, we wanna invite you to come and receive prayer. If you wanna sing along, sing along. I I don't care. I just want you to feel freedom and permission to respond however God is leading you, all right? So let's pray and then we'll move. Father, we love you. And I'm so grateful today that we can be confident of your love and your care for us. Thank you, God, that your promises are true and they are good. And even if we have to wait on them, one day, one day they will come to pass. God, in the next few moments, I am just praying that you would continue to pour your presence out in this place. God, would you move in our lives. God, minister to those in the room that need it. God, we're saying to you today, we need you not just in the bad times, but in the good times as well. God, we need you every moment of every day. And so God, regardless of who we are or where we are in life right now, God, would you just come and would you speak into our lives in the next few moments in ways that only you can. God, we give you this time, it is yours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand, do our feet, prayer team. You come and you get in your places. Whatever God's leading you to do today, you respond.